Okay, here we go. The deep, unknown history of San Antonio. I believe in San Antonio. I live here. This place has an ancient and enchanted history. People have lived here for hundreds of generations, that's for sure. Thousands of years. They hunted and gathered and told their stories and sang their songs and danced their dances and lived their lives without really changing all that much and without destroying the environment they lived in. There's something we could learn. How were they able to do that? I've thought about it many times. It certainly is a lofty achievement, something we can't do. Existing in cooperation with, but not domination of, your natural world. By living in reverence is the answer I came up with. Yeah. By living in gratitude for the blessings of Father Sky and Mother Earth. By living in harmony with the natural elements they found themselves surrounded with. By having enough, having a pinnacle culture where no matter how primitive it may appear to us, they had the tools and skills sufficient for the tribe to survive and prosper. Although there has never been any proper archeology span done about the first people to live here, 12, 15,000, maybe 20,000 years ago, there are some things that can be surmised about the deep history of San Antonio. They were born and lived among the trees that grew all along the banks of the gentle streams that flowed down from the hills to the north and from the springs that flowed up out of the earth. This much can be surmised. The water fed the trees, and the trees fed the people. And the source of the water, where it emanated from the earth, where it sprang forth from the rocks, that place was a blessing and an energy center. It was a sacred site. It's where they worshipped Mother Nature herself. That's not just my opinion. It's also the account given to me by the descendants of those ancient people who still live around here. 
picture of the blue hole. Wow. The watershed of all those streams that coursed through this area roughly matches the outline of present-day San Antonio. The metropolis, the giant city, seventh largest in the nation and growing fast as a Texas sunflower. Urbanized and developed with giant housing tracks spreading out for miles. Industrial sites, quarries, expressways, shopping malls has buried any resemblance it once had to the natural state of things deep underground. I think that's important to know. What we see around us today is not what those ancient people saw around them. Missing mountain lions and deer, to mention a few. And the environment to support them. We do have the river walk. That's a memento from the ancient past. From back when the river flowed clear and strong. Not pumped out of the water treatment plant like it is today. We have the Cascade Fountains in Hemisphere Park, flowing like a Yanawana in the rainy season. Yanawana, of course, was the native name for the river. Peaceful waters, the healing waters. The Spanish named it San Antonio, and that's what we call it today. This whole place has been completely renamed since the ancient people lived here. We don't even know what they call things. It's not their town anymore. It's our town. But enough of that. Let us talk about when this place was flowing with water. Generous amounts of water in the streams and in the arroyos. There were dozens of them all over town. And even today, you can see them while riding around on your bicycle. The springs were the source of some of those rivers. And they formed pools and marshes with their attendant biospheres, where they gushed out of the ground. Fish, frogs, shellfish, alligators, birds, and no doubt many others that I don't know about. The springs and the rivers were the bountiful gifts of Mother Nature, feeding her children, all of them, all along the waterway. And that's what made this place special. One could easily surmise, in fact, that this was a Garden of Eden event. While here below, Mother Earth was feeding all her children with her beneficence, above, Father Sky was radiating his brilliant, warm sunshine and showering them with rain. That's a pretty nice world to live in. And that's how they saw it. 
In fact, that's probably how we would see it if we made a religion today, if we grew up in a forest by the river and had no knowledge of modern science and weren't influenced by modern society and by everybody else's ideas or by a holy book that was passed down for generations. If we just knew what we knew and we felt what we felt, that's probably the same religion we would have. Anyways, they did it that way. That's how they constructed their world. And when everything was in balance, when everything was good, when Father Sky and Mother Earth were happy, then the people were blessed and there was plenty to eat. And so they grew up among the trees and the trees grew up along the banks of the rivers. And the rivers provided water and the trees provided food and it was good. Everything that was needed was provided. Everybody was prosperous or nobody was prosperous. Their wealth fell out of the limestone formations in the form of chert, the material they used to make stone tools and whatever they needed, a grinder, a matate, an axe, a knife. Just pick it up and shape it into an arrowhead. You can hunt deer. The deer was a magical creature, at least to the old ones who lived out by the Pecos in West Texas and left paintings on their cave walls. Maybe because they seemed to appear and disappear. And if you were able to chase one down and get it, you would have bountiful resources to make clothes and a house and food to feed your family and Lord knows what else. If we want to imagine those people who lived here 10,000 years ago, then we need to reset our perspective a little. Their climate was cooler and wetter than it is now. The Southern Plains, which we're a part of, were a luxurious grasslands, a pasture for herds of buffalo, horses, and mastodons. Yeah, they were all roaming around in the southern plains, and those people hunted them with massive stone spearheads hafted onto shafts and thrown at high speed with the aid of an atlatl, or throwing stick. And they got them too. Bones found at Paleo-Indian sites, like 10,000 years old and more, around Texas confirmed this. No excavations have ever been done for the area around here though, not for that era. Now in the Almost Basin, they, they built a dam and a university and a city on top of those sites. So the evidence for whatever they ate and whatever they did and whoever they were lies underground still. 
along with all their other secrets. And that's the truth. They were shaman people. We can also surmise that. Shamanism was prevalent among the ancient hunter-gatherer populations of North America. They didn't have a king or a big ruler. Their society was far more egalitarian than ours. But they did have the wise person to guide them on their hunts and ensure the prosperity of the tribe. The shaman. He could heal you. He could give you counsel. The shaman could visit the gods and gain insight and wisdom, bring it back to the tribe. He or she could get inside the head of the prey animal that the hunters were stalking and help them be successful. The shaman could even take the shape of an animal that sounds spooky, right? I know. But that's what the old stories and myths say, going way back. Aslan. The mythical homeland of the Aztecs is located somewhere to the north at the place of seven caves, according to their myth. Caves were important because they were the entrance into the underworlds and at the same time into the subconscious realms where the ancient people stored their myths and rituals. Caves were important back then for many reasons. And there are lots of them in this area, some of them spectacular. It's possible that the predecessors of the, Antec of the Aztecs 700 years ago, before they settled in Mexico City, originated right here. There may have been numerous migrations. For example, the oldest known depiction of the horned serpent, one of the symbols that they used in their religious art, appears in a lower Pecos River cave 3,500 years ago. It becomes enshrined later in the iconography of Mexico as the plumed serpent, Quetzalcoatl, the benefactor of culture since the time of the Olmecs 3,000 years ago, and up until the time of the Aztecs 700 years ago. Yeah, and there are many other motifs and religious symbols from the Aztec culture that have been found in the paintings from the Lower Pecos River area, indicating that their influence was progenitive. Those caves are like 250 miles away from San Antonio. 40 miles north of Austin, is a small wooded valley formed by three springs 
that merged to form the Buttermilk Creek. This is the location of the Galt site, one of the most extraordinary archaeological sites in North America. Literally millions of stone tools and shards have been found in various stages of manufacture or repair. Some stones have been deliberately inscribed with lines. It was a church factory. There was plentiful material in this place and they made tools. Since they started doing archeology span back in 1929 at this site, they have uncovered evidence of continuous occupation going back 15,000 years and they're still digging. People have been here for much longer than 12,000 years. The commonly accepted timeline. That's my point. We just don't know about it. That's what I think. This area was a nursery for the cultures that would spring up and spread all over the place later. It was an energy center, an inspiration center, a rejuvenation center. That's what I think. Unfortunately, we don't know what they thought. Most of what we know about early San Antonio people is whatever the Spanish conquistadors, along with their fellow interlopers, the priests, wrote down in their journals. <laughs> Father Espinosa in 1709 made this entry in his diary upon arriving at what has now become known as the Blue Hole. Quote, at a short distance, we came to a luxuriant growth of trees, high walnuts, poplars, elms, and mulberries watered by a copious spring, which rises near a populous rancheria of Indians of the tribes of Supan, Chalamis, and some Sihamis. <laughs> I'm not pronouncing them right numbering in all about 500 persons, young and old, unquote. So he found, you know, these villages of Indians, 500 of them living at the springs when he showed up in 1709. The people he called the Supan, the Chalamis, and the Sahamis, he really had no idea who they were, and neither do I. And he had no idea that their ancestors had lived around there for hundreds of generations going back in time. They had gone on their peregrinations and returned to the springs many, many times, and yet had left not a single scrap of written information or a single bit of cave art for us to ponder. The Spanish, of course, were interested in expanding their empire not on cataloging and understanding the strange and diverse people they met there. For the favor of saving your souls will let you build our forts 
and plant our crops was their attitudes. Also, they got protection from the Comanches, which was no small thing. The Comanches, yeah, they were like rowdy bullies. They would raid whoever they wanted and take whatever they wanted. Why not? We got horses. Anyways, back to the main point that what the native people saw as gifts from Mother Nature and Father Son, the water, food, sunshine, trees, plants, animals, all of it, to the Spanish, those were just resources, as were the poor pagan Indians themselves. The gentle folk who camped around the springs were easily persuaded or if that didn't work, coerced into joining up with mission life among the Spanish and becoming Christian. And the springs themselves, which came from deep underground, which they identified with and gathered around, actually comes from an aquifer buried 600 feet and made out of limestone that used to be at the bottom of an ocean that was here a hundred million years ago. Back then, life was thriving. It was the Cretaceous era, and it was warm and moist. There were dragonflies the size of large birds and dinosaurs tromping around. The shallow ocean covered half of Texas and was prolif with marine organisms. It was their skeletons melded and compacted on the ocean floor that became the limestone which eventually formed the huge underground res reservoir that feeds the springs all the way from Brackettville to Austin and including San Antonio. And that's some deep history the aquifer formed in such a way that it could purify and transport the water until it found an opening, and then it would flow out as an artesian well. Okay, fine, you might ask. But if there was this amazing nation of people here 12, 15, 20,000 years ago that lived by the springs and gave birth to cultures and empires, why is there no trace of them now? Well, my dear reader, that is an excellent question. And I shall attempt to answer it. I think that they had no need for monuments in high technology because their monuments were already here. Magnificent ones, built by nature, the trees and the streams and the sky and the earth. Their technology was talking and listening to the trees and the birds and the sky and the earth. Being in communion. Knowing the presence of something is speaking to it. And certainly the trees had a presence where they lived. All the elemental forces, wind, 
rain, sunshine, night and day had a presence and were part of them and they could interact with them. I think that was their technology. Spellbinding the big cats, if you can believe that. Here's a cave painting over 2,000 years old that shows a shaman figure sitting between two mountain lions with their mouths open but fixed, unable to move by the power of the shaman's spell. That would be a handy technology. Their storytelling must have been compelling as hell, having practiced it for so many generations, sitting around the fire and spinning yarns, reviving the classics and tweaking them for a new audience, the little kids. Entertainment and education and tribal identification all in one. That's the storytelling experience. But they're all lost now, all those amazing stories gone without a trace, except in the existing myths of surviving cultures like the Aztec and Huichol. And I'll say this, whatever I've expressed about the ancient people may or may not ring true to you. But I think people today want to regain their lost freedom, their wildness, their ancient traits. Just rolling down the river walk on my bike this morning, I encountered one guy with two Alaskan Huskies pulling him along on a leash. Another guy camping out under the bridge with his tent. A girl with her fluffy dog says hi in a sweet voice as she passes by. Downtown, a guy in a trench coat with a toothpick in his mouth is crossing the road in front of me, carrying a long branch as if it were a bow. <laughs> this lady in her poncho with her bags and one shoe, wandering around the city all day, communing with something. Civilization is just a thin veneer after all, a coating on the very tip of our human story, like icing on a cupcake. It's just been the last 12,000 years or so that we invented agriculture and started living in cities. We were hunters and gatherers before that for 200,000 years. Those were our Homo sapiens ancestors. Same brain, same curiosity, same creative ingenuity, same desire to make things better 
same basic need to find meaning in life that we have today. They had the same back then.